Welcome to the Edinburgh University Students Association Teaching Awards podcast series, working with the Institute for Academic Development's Hybrid Learning Exchange to celebrate those who have been nominated and shortlisted for this year's awards. In spite of the challenging and ever-changing academic year we've had, both through adapting learning approaches and keeping students engaged and motivated, over 1,300 different staff were nominated in over 2,800 nominations, making it the biggest since 2012. We will be speaking to staff from across the university, from professional services and support staff, student tutors and academics, from a range of schools and departments. With the awards this year, we want to recognise the commitment demonstrated by all our nominees, many of whom have continued to provide an excellent standard of teaching and student support in challenging personal and professional circumstances. Some have been based here in Edinburgh, many have been scattered across the globe. Many have had cats, dogs and other pets feature in the background of their teaching. Many had to try new and innovative ways to apply their practice to an online setting. All had to deal with wavering internet connections and clashing time zones, fostering a sense of community in their students and developing their approach week by week. In this series, we hope to explore the experiences of some that have been shortlisted, to discuss their experiences of this year, the impact of the awards to them, and how their role in the university has developed this year. So hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Grace Lavender. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a fourth year religious studies student um, over in the School of Divinity. As well as being an RS student this year, uh, I've undertaken the role of student council facilitator. So student council, um, for those who don't know, is the democratic decision-making body of the Students' Association. So it's where students come to kind of have their voices heard, to vent some of their frustrations, but also to enact really positive change. So in that role, I've seen lots of different motions pass um, and expenditure requests for different student-led campaigns. So that's been really lovely. And it's kind of in that role that um, I'm talking to you today. And I'm really excited to be here to talk about the teaching awards, which I think are very important, um, and to talk to you both a little bit about your work. Um, so with me today, I have Sam and Dimitri, and I'm going to pass over to you guys to briefly introduce yourselves, what it is that you do at the university, and also the award that you've been nominated for. Hi, Grace. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and with Dimitri as well. And what a very fascinating role you're playing in the life of the students at, at the university. I think that's very beautiful and, and commendable in many ways. Um, so my name is Sam Mwokoro. I come from West Africa, Nigeria to be precise, as you'd be figuring out from my guttural accent in a minute. And I've been nominated um, for the Student Tutor Award um, for this year. And the course I was nominated for um, is the RVP course, as we call it at the School of Divinity, um, Religion, Violence and Peace Building, a course that um, has inspired a lot of students over the years. Um, other than that, my research actually does focus on ideological groups in 8th century Damascus, and I'm particularly studying a group of Christians known as the Melkites, who lived under early Islamic rule in the city of Damascus. I spend most of my time studying this community and understanding the dynamics of their strategies and boundary marking mechanisms. Yeah, and that's what keeps me busy. Great, thank you very much for that, Sam. Over to you, Dimitri. Well, um, hi there. So I'm Dimitri Mignard and uh, I teach on research at the School of Engineering. 
so uh, yeah, maybe uh, uh, a bit more uh, about that maybe. Uh, so engineering is obviously quite a different approach to divinity, I guess. Um, usually when you talk about acts of God, uh, it's in an insurance type of context and so on. Uh, nevertheless, there is still a, a spiritual side to it, I believe, in the sense that uh, uh, we uh, we are about uh, serving mankind, uh, hopefully uh, for, for uh, good ends. Uh, and uh, we try to instill this uh, ethos to students. And in fact, I believe more students who come to us want to make the world a better place to start with. Uh, mm. So uh, when we teach, uh, we look at things like, um, you know, uh, not just uh, uh, technical rigor and um, innovative design, uh, but also uh, how uh, uh, how we impact, uh, hopefully favorably and well, on society and the environment, for example. Uh, and so I teach uh, this year, uh, over the last year, mostly I've been focusing on third and fifth year students uh, of the chemical engineering program, as well as first year students, um, and also MSc students in sustainable energy systems, which is a, a program uh, very close to my heart. And my research is on the conversion of renewable energies to fuels and chemicals, and also uh, on uh, affordable and adapted desalination and irrigation in low-income countries. So quite a lot of fun there and really interesting problems and so on. Uh, so yeah, we, we are nerds as engineers, but uh, we are nerds connected with people. And uh, we try to we try our best to really be uh, helpful and relevant to society at large, whether it's here in Scotland or further afield. Uh, I forgot to talk a bit about where I come from, I guess. Uh, so for my accent, you probably guessed I was born in France um, and I, I've been living in Scotland for um, 26, 27 years, and yes, and I'm really much enjoying the university environment with all the fascinating people who work and study there. Great, thank you. And Dimitri, can I just ask what you've been nominated for as part of the teaching awards? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so first of all, uh, one of my tutees kindly nominated me uh, for Tutor of the Year. I believe somebody from the Sustainable Energy Systems program, probably. Uh, so I'm very, very grateful to uh, to them, and uh, and also, uh, so I presented to my third year class on our process safety on environmental issues in Kemenge, um, uh, the course we delivered to them as a package, and I told them, oh well, you can vote for the three of us, myself who leads the course, and my colleague Norbert Radakshi. And also we had this wonderful tutor, top-notch, uh, the best ever, um, Alana Lewis. And uh, in fact, the students, uh, well, at least one student, nominated the three of us for Teacher of the Year Award, which was quite sweet, I thought. Um, so, so there you go. Um, and then uh, finally, uh, I, uh, I, I've been the fifth year coordinator for chemical engineering. So I've been taking an interest, an active interest in how the class was doing as a whole. Uh, as well as supervising a couple of the students on their industrial placement projects that uh, run over six months. And we've had big issues with um, making sure that the students uh, didn't feel too isolated working on their own individual projects and, uh, uh, and, and also were coping with you know, the substantial workload that they get in chemical engineering. So I've been running weekly meetings and uh, 
Um, what one student made me realize is, in fact, I've, I've been acting as a mentor to those of them who uh, wanted to engage. Um, and that's how I do supervision also. So. Great. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for both of those introductions. And it's interesting, Sam, that you um, are nominated for RVP because I actually took that course when I was in first year, when I was just a baby at the university. And I took this year the um, kind of honours level of that course, which is called Peace Building Religion and the Arts. And it's such a good course. So I'm not surprised that um, someone's been nominated from that one because it really is a great course. But anyway, moving on from my introductions, um, I'd like to ask both of you kind of two questions in one. Um, what do the teaching awards mean to you generally and what has it meant for you personally to be nominated? What does your nomination mean to you? Um, so I'll pass back over to Sam to start us off with that one. Thank you for, for that question, Grace. I think it's a very interesting question um, because before now I knew not so much really about the teaching awards. And when I was nominated, quite selfishly, I had to read up on it and see what it's about. And I've come to appreciate that the Teaching Awards is a very good um, student-led initiative aimed at appreciating contribution to contributions to, to students' learning experience. And this means, of course, that students get to have a say in how and why certain teaching activities matter to them. And so I, I, I've come to really appreciate um, the, the, the teaching awards as a process that highlights the voices and experiences of students and their engagement with various teaching practices, be it tutorial, like Dimitri mentioned, or supervision, or, or choice of courses, like you mentioned in your first year, Grace. And what does my nomination mean to me? Um, that's a very good question. It, it means a lot to me, really. I, I feel very shy saying this, but um, um, honestly, I believe that there are many student tutors out there who give it their best in every way, including the one Dimitri mentioned in his course. Um, so my nomination in very many ways, without a sense of pretense or modesty, bears witness to the many commendable efforts of many student tutors across the university. Um, but on a more personal note, um, my nomination says two things loud and clear to me. My nomination says thank you, and my nomination says keep it up. Um, I, I feel deeply appreciated, and I feel very motivated. And great to be honest, not many students realize that executing teaching and tutoring roles um, often take more than a streak of academic qualification. Um, there is often a lot of mental and emotional management going on in the background for teachers as well as students. Um, so being nominated speaks um, very saliently to that in a way for me. Great, thank you. That's that's a really lovely answer. And I could see, Dimitri, you were nodding along to lots of what Sam was saying there. So I'll ask you the same thing. What, does the, <laughs> what do the teaching awards mean to you? And what does your nomination in particular uh, mean to you as well? I'm, I, I am not sure I've got that much to add to what Sam's already said. <laughs> I mean, if I can amplify some of the things that uh, he's hinted at, um, yeah, uh, there are a lot of us out there who really uh, have, uh, um, trying to think of uh, the right expression here, um, who really have uh, gone to town this year, uh, made uh, quite a lot of personal sacrifices 
um, to actually ensure that uh, our students uh, felt uh, valued and that they um, that they that, that high quality teaching was delivered to them and that they were supported in their learning and so on uh, and uh, that's not actually not just academic stuff but um, uh, also non-academic stuff uh, and I mean I can only speak for myself but uh, uh, essentially, you know, I uh, I would have to this semester. I, I would do often days of between anywhere between 12 and 16 hours, and uh, that included weekends, uh, just uh, trying to get those materials ready and uh, get myself organized and try and communicate with the students um, as much as possible. <laughs> and that takes a lot of time and. That uh, uh, phrase relationships, it has to be said. Um, I think I came under pressure from my own family, you know, uh, rightly so. Uh, you know, but, but what I'm trying to say is I, I actually know of a couple of colleagues who really had uh, to negotiate really carefully uh, how they were, you know, getting on with the business of trying to deliver courses in a pandemic. Uh, with the conditions that we were working in all. And I also know of students who've, uh, you know, suffered also uh, from uh, all the circumstances. Uh, I think you appreciate that there are a lot of uh, colleagues out there uh, who uh, will have missed on maybe the recognition that being shortlisted at least or, uh, or, or winners of the awards would uh, give them. Um, and I wonder if uh, it's a conversation for later, but uh, should, could we think of other ways that we can reward uh, uh, staff uh, beyond uh, extremely competitive awards? Uh, so that, that would be my, my thought uh, for what it's worth. Um, yeah, no, I mean, those are some really interesting issues and hopefully something that we'll have time to address later on um, in the episode. But I just want to draw on um, something that I think you're both kind of um, alluding to, which is obviously how difficult things have been for staff and for students as well, you know, during this pandemic and hopefully moving, hopefully moving out of the pandemic very slowly, but hopefully surely. Um, so I want to draw on something that you said earlier, Sam, about um, how this, um, this nomination has kind of meant well done, but also keep going. And I'd like to ask both of you how your experiences this year, particularly the fact that you've been nominated for these awards, um, how is that going to inform your approach next academic year? Um, so, Dimitri, I'd like to start with you um, for that one. Right. How is that going to influence my approach? Problem is, we get quite a lot of uh, uh, even informal feedback from, uh, you know, interacting in workshops uh, with our students. And we hear great things. What's great is that uh, the awards makes it visible, which means that now if I want to go and um, try and influence colleagues, to take a broader approach, for example, to project supervision, I can go and say, look, uh, actually taking a general interest in students as people before we even go into the details of the project and, and seeing the students as, as an end in themselves that they're developing over their projects. And as a side product of that, you might actually get an absolutely fantastic project with uh, deliverables that uh, are all met and beyond, you know, added value, etc. Just having been even shortlisted for the awards may, um, make, means that uh, I can say this is recognized by the student body as a whole. 
and then maybe influence practice within the university. Yes, I've got a bit of an agenda there, I know, but <laughs> you know. Uh, but I think it's important because what I see is um, we're not churning out graduates. We're graduates. We are churning out. Uh, when I say churning out, sounds a bit vulgar. Excuse me. We're um, you know we 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 are training. Um, uh, we are training uh, graduates uh, who uh, then uh, have. Uh, uh, wider influence on society, uh, both through their skills and also through their attitude and demeanor. And so uh, having uh, the recognition of the awards means that uh, I can say, look, it's not just a lofty philosophical goal here. Uh, students are actually appreciative of that and they see the value of it in their own personal development and their professional development. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you very much for that. Um, Sam, over to you for that one. How might this this inform my approach next year? Uh, to be honest, Grace, on a lighter note, I, I sort of feel like not tutoring next year um, and, and sort of leave the stage while the applause is high. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but that's just on a lighter note. I guess I couldn't agree more with Dimitri on that point. Um, and to tie that to what I said about motivation, um, I guess this this nomination would encourage me to sort of keep at it and seek out ways of improving and maximizing whatever best practices would have been appropriate and applicable to the course I'd be tutoring in the coming academic year. And to take Dimitri's point a little bit further, I do absolutely agree with him that um, a teaching approach that is both content driven and student driven couldn't be more balanced. And students, while they are interested in the courses that we engage with, are often deeply, deeply appreciative of any gesture that is targeted toward their humanity as well, their personality, who they are. And I think Dimitri is quite spot on on that. Whatever we do to merge the two together, to balance that together, can always be appreciated and is a very, very fertile um, way forward, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. That's a, um, two great answers there. And I think I want to just pick up on something, I think, Dimitri, that you said about seeing students sort of as... Um, ends in themselves and as people and I think it's echoed in a lot of what you're saying Sam and also really every person who I've interviewed for this podcast series has been saying similar things and that's about um, trying to build some kind of sense of community or some kind of connection mm. during especially the pandemic although I know it's something that's important all the time so um, I would like to ask both of you starting with Sam how have you aimed to build some kind of community with students this year? That's a very good question um I, I had come up with a terminology for that earlier, and I call it compassionate inclusion. As soon as I realized that I'd be spending an entire 13-week course with people I'd only have seen a screen version of them and nothing of them in person, I, I, I quickly realized we have a problem on our hands. And so um, I sort of I was determined to create an atmosphere that prioritized the sense of belonging to the learning experience, taking nothing away from the quality of learning, of course. 
And so I sort of diversified my tutorial activities in ways that gave playful options of participation rather than sticking to normative academic routines. And I guess that was my very little attempt at creating a sense of community around the course. Um, this was, of course, in no way comparable to some of the things some of my wonderful colleagues did, some of which was creating a WhatsApp group for the tutorial groups and ensuring that everyone was socially in touch, which was just a splendid idea. Um, but I guess um, sticking to, to the classroom content and ensuring that things like um, breakout rooms, role playing, role playing particularly being something I need to give credit to my dear, very amazing colleague Ayona Pupeski for, um, were some of the things I used to create that sense of community around the course. And I did see that it, it, it did have um, a very positive impact on the students. Great, thank you very much for um, that answer. And that's really interesting insight for me as a student about some of the things that kind of go on behind the scenes, you know, trying to brainstorm different um, approaches to tutorials. So thank you very much for that. Um, Dimitri, over to you. Yes, I was thinking of, uh, thanks. Um, uh, thanks, Grace. Uh, I, was, uh, I was thinking of what uh, Sam was saying just now, but, uh, you know, scratching your head and trying to come up with, uh, you know, new ways of doing the tutorials. I mean, we, uh, so uh, the, the course I, I, I run this year, this semester, uh, where the first half was delivered by my co colleague Norbert. So unfortunately for him, he was the pioneer. Uh, and then uh, and then we get the mid-semester feedback. And so we can, oh, right, okay, maybe we can try this and that. Oh, another colleague is trying breakout rooms. That works very well. So we sort of made it up as we went along and, uh, and we're somewhat flying by the seats of our pants most of the time because you're trying to, um, you know, we've not done that before, none of us probably. Or very few of us will have had to deliver workshops and tutorials online. Uh, so we try, we try and think, okay, what other people are doing? And, uh, and actually that was fun. And I think the students could feel that. So, you know, um, um, things like, uh, you know, spotting things in the street. So there was uh, so spotted something in front of uh, Polo Calls, which was very relevant to my course. There's a substation nearby there, an electrical substation. And there's a big drum that sits right in front of the uh, uh, the entrance on the swimming pool side, kind of thing, if you see what I mean, on the corner. Uh, and uh, anyway, he's got a, a, a chemical compound of interest in there, and it's really visible. And once you once you know it's there, you know it's there. Anyway, that's a, that's one of the scary compounds that actually is extremely useful to the electrical uh, to the electricity industry. So. Uh, it, it was a brilliant example. So you plastered it on the background of your picture, and then you show students, you know, hey. Do you know where this was taken? Do you know what it is? And so on. And it's actually, it draws on so many things from the course. And, and, and this and finding all the online tools where you can see the students interacting in real life on the, um, on the board, on a diagram. All of this was sort of, uh, you know, we realized maybe one week before, um, you know, I think I could do that. And then, um, uh, and then we sort of prepare new questions and so on. That takes a lot of time. And then we arrive and we improvise and we do it. And some things work, some things don't work. I'm pretty sure the students would have said it's a bit clunky there, but none of them complained. Um, and I think, you know, um, it's a bit like a language. It's a living thing mm. and it will evolve and so on. But the, but the problem is you've got that one first shot and will the students actually feel like they're learning anything? Is the big, uh, the big scary, stressful thing. <laughs> so, yeah. 
just going yeah. on a bit here, but that, that, that's that's what it's like at the other end. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, and I'm sure um, all of your students really appreciate that. And you know, I I think everybody kind of understood, especially like um, the move to online teaching was so just so fast and so kind of so much to get used to and so much for our lecturers and our tutors to grapple with. Um, so I'm sure students really appreciated all that kind of stuff. I forgot and to answer really... your question. Sorry, sorry, uh, Grace. I forgot to answer a question which was about sense of community, right? Yeah, that's yes. it. Yes, okay. Well, the, 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 our problem was quite simply that those workshops were the only scheduled event in the calendar, in the diary of uh, those third year students. So we had to squeeze it out for all it's worth in terms of uh, making sure that the students were uh, engaging, not just with us, we're almost like a decoration here, but uh, really they, they, with each other. Uh, so um, um, we tried to do this very clunkily in the first half of the semester. I don't think it worked that well. And then we got the breakout rooms in the second half. And that was brilliant. You would drop in and you would see, they were, maybe they were not always talking about the, the problem at hand, but uh, actually most of the time they were, but you know, they. Uh, they, they were sort of uh, trying to work uh, with each other uh, and I think we should just do more of that. Um, that's that's for sure. Uh, but the problem is you need more tutors because if you've got, uh, say, 10 groups, uh, one single person running through all the groups visiting is not enough anyway. Uh, so that was one thing we, we did. And another one was we realized uh, in fifth year particularly, uh, we had to get um, I, I, I had slots in the week where I would be there and students would come and chat about anything and everything. And that was fantastic. And I think I, I, I think this is sort of things we should almost do by default, really, pandemic or not pandemic, personally. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great answer. And it kind of brings me quite neatly on to the next thing that I'd like to talk about. Um, so there might even be some bits that you end up repeating because I think there's lots of overlap. But the next question I'd like to ask you both is how would you describe your adaption into remote learning and teaching? So that could, that's quite a broad question. You could talk about the, the things that you literally did. So the way that you transformed resources, for example. Um, but you could also talk about how you personally found it emotionally, how it felt to move to online um, learning and teaching. So I think I'll pass to Sam to start us off on that one. Thank you, Grace. Um, how did I adapt? Um to um, remote learning and teaching. You know, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to Dimitri's answer on this, especially since he he does his work on sustainable energy systems, um, the kind of thing you'd be sure that you'd need to do in person and having to translate that into learning and teaching remotely. But personally, I, so, so I never had an in-person tutoring experience. Um, teaching online would be my very first tutoring experience. And so having had no choice, really, I quite adapted um, quickly with what, what I had. But more importantly, I'd say something like I mentioned earlier that I did was that I was determined to give the tutorial group as best of a learning experience as could be desired, albeit um, through the grids of a computer screen. Um, so early on, um, making the students aware that the entire tutorial process is not about the tutor, it's about them and how they, they could shape their learning experience 
through their own interests, questions, brainstorming, and what they bring to the group. And so making that clear from the start was an important thing that helped the adaptation process because the students realized that they had a huge stake in the remote learning setting. And all I simply did was to make the most of whatever digital provisions were there to enhance and facilitate that energy that the students bring. Um, and like I said, using things like role play or debates or whiteboard graphics or breakout rooms or simply just breaking down ideas into slides and seeing how students watch the screen change from one slide to another, explaining away the things they found very complicated. So these were the, a few things I did to enhance um, um, that the remote learning so you didn't have much of an impact on, on the students. Great, thank you so much for that. That's a really good detailed answer. Um, Dimitri, over to you with the same question. So let's, let's, let's try with the, the interesting bit. How did that feel? Um, scary. <laughs> scary because, first of all, it takes a lot of time. Um, and, you know, um, so the sort of stuff I need to explain to students, you need a lot of animations, for example. It's the stuff of throwing through pipes and um, containers and uh, flows of energy and molecules reacting with each other. Uh, you know, it's environmental chemistry and process engineering and that sort of stuff. And it takes a lot of time to deliver, the, to, to develop materials. You're standing in a class or you're having a live recording, I think you can get away with it. Uh, but uh, if it's going to be recorded materials, you realize you've got to really... <laughs> Anyway, so that took ages and I was really scary and really, really stressful and took a lot of time. Uh, but um, when it came to the uh, tutorials, actually, I found it was a lot of fun. We had to think of ideas to make it to bring it to life, uh, so that when we run these uh, tutorials, uh, they are recordable, and on, you know, on the, on the recordings are usable, and also uh, while the session is happening, it's enjoyable if possible. So, so there, there was this double-sided things of uh, being really scary, and uh, um, I'm using the word scary. I don't know if it's an exaggeration, but uh, it's uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's sort of can actually do that. Oh, oh yes, and I forgot the worst about it is, um, at first you don't know if you should have uh, a recording of yourself standing in front of the camera. Uh, my colleague Norbert went as far as having a green screen behind him and standing up and having the, the, the slides projected on the side and talking uh, through the different items on the slides, like, uh, you know, some, some weatherman kind of, uh, um, weather woman kind of uh, impression. And that was, oh, I, I just took one look at that and I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to feel so self-conscious. It's going to be awful. So I didn't do that. I just uh, had my, my face on the little corner. Uh, I, so, so yes, so that's how it felt, and I think I've spoken enough now. Great, thank you so much. That's a really good answer. Um, yeah, and I can imagine that just, I don't know, trying to even decide how to approach things must have been a real challenge. Um, so that leads me on into the next question. And strangely, before we started recording these podcasts, I did not think that this was a question that I would like much or that I would find particularly interesting. But this question actually has been the one of the questions that I've liked the most or one of the ones where the answers I've liked the most. Um, and I think it's because the answers to this question, um, I think is really similar to what lots of students would answer um, to this question. The question itself is, what does a typical day look like in your role? And how has this changed with remote learning and teaching? <laughs> Sorry. 
And um, I don't want to preempt what you're going to say, but a lot of what other academics have said to this question has been stuff like, oh, well, it's been really difficult to keep a routine. And, you know, I've been working really hard and I've been doing all sorts of different things all over the place. And it's been really difficult. And I think that's what lots of students would say as well, that lots of students have missed that routine of going into class, going into lectures, going to the library, especially with so many students actually in their hometowns, not even able to come to Edinburgh itself. So, um, Dimitri, I'll pass over to you first with that question. What does a typical day look like in your role and how has this changed with remote learning and teaching? Right. Uh, so that's a great question, Grace. Um, so prior to the pandemic and the restrictions, etc., a typical day would be a lot of running around, uh, trying to juggle lots of balls and keeping them in the air. Um, and one thing that was really helpful was uh, being able to get out of the office, uh, go to the uh, coffee place nearby in King's Buildings, bump into a lot of students and a lot of staff. And that's where I would get in the corridor and around the coffee area where would I get a lot of my uh, business done, basically. You know, oh, yes, uh, this email I sent you uh, two, three weeks ago. Any chance that uh, you can send me an answer just now? Oh, yeah, sure. And uh, uh, that sort of things. Or a student would, oh, at last I can get hold of you. Yes. Uh, could you help me with blah, blah, blah. So pandemic era uh, coming, uh, all of this stops. It's been awful. Uh, and I think, uh, Sam, you've been uh, um, around for a while already. Um, when did you start in your in your role? Um, well, I've been in the university for three years now, but okay. I've only tutored in the last year. Oh, OK. Wow. So you really had the, the one steep learning slope there. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yes. Uh, OK, so. Uh, so, yeah, like you say, the new routine. Well, there was some routine, but um, I think I think we, the main thing that's affected me personally was the fact that uh, they, they were still 24 hours in the day. Uh, I would not walk to get to work anymore. So uh, there was a f an issue of my fitness um, and mental fitness, physical fitness. Um, there, uh, I, I find not seeing people and not seeing students in person, frankly, crap. Um, but you know we've got to make do with what we've got. And the thing that you that uh, Grace mentioned uh, that uh, well actually uh, staff have had a similar experience to students. I want to say that this happens much more often than we think. Okay, so you will uh, hear students complaining every now and then that they don't feel valued. Right? Uh, you will hear the same sort of things by some staff. Okay, I don't know how pervasive those feelings are. But that does happen. Now, I'm not pointing an accusatory finger here. I'm just saying um, there's some parallels between uh, f feelings of that students have at any one time and feelings that staff may have. <laughs> That's quite interesting. Um, in terms uh, uh, also how, um, uh, you know, or being, for example, being overworked uh, uh, or not, um, not having uh, uh, enough um, uh, resources at hand and so on. This is a sort of stuff you'll hear all the time. Uh, but I think students and staff have actually much more in common uh, than people may realize from that point of view. Working from home or studying from home, finding you've got obligations at home. We've got students who feel uh, that they, they have to do their bits in their family homes, uh, which, you know, stuff they didn't have to do before. And they're finding the time difficult to manage. Um, 
so yeah, uh, that's that's an interesting. Uh, oh yes, and if you want to change anything, if you're a staff here, uh, I'm not sure you want to uh, put this in the recording at the end, but you know, uh, we feel because it's such a large organization, if you want to change anything, as a staff, you often feel, feel rather powerless, I'm sorry to say. Uh, and likewise, students might tell you similar things. Well, well I would like things done differently. Yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes it's possible and sometimes uh, at a very local level, you can react very quickly and get things to improve. But you can imagine that uh, an organization that size to turn the ship around uh, <laughs> is, is going to take a while. Uh, so, yeah, so these are all these parallels that are quite fascinating. Um, but fortunately, when you when you think about it, that means that what works with students could work with staff too, and vice versa. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's hope. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really great answer. And that's definitely something that I'm pleased that this podcast series has kind of brought forwards is um, all the ways that students and staff have things actually in common and... Um, how often it is that, especially through the pandemic, some of the issues at the university that students have been facing are similar to the issues that staff have been facing. Um, and it's interesting as well, Dimitri, that you brought up your um, walking to work because lots of the people that we've spoken to have said similar things about um, not getting in exercise. And there was even one academic who said she used to cycle to work and now every morning she cycles to her office and then just turns around and cycles straight back home. <laughs> just because... <laughs> just because that's her daily exercise that she usually does. So she still does that. Um, and I think, again, you know, that's kind of true for the whole country and people across the world, actually, you know, um, missing all those little things like commutes. Uh, but I'll pass over to you, Sam, to finish us off with that question um, just in the final few minutes. So take it away when you're ready. Yeah. Um, no, I couldn't agree more with what Demetrius said and what the other academics you've interviewed have also said. For me particularly, so I never had a a pre-remote learning experience to compare with. But um, Grace, from your experience, knowing New College for what it is, it is um, it is a place of community. You get the sense of community New College strongly in everything you do as a staff and as a student. And I guess my typical day walking around New College would, would be that, would be that sense of community which, which obviously you wouldn't get in the remote learning setting. And I do know a few other tutoring colleagues and students who want to take courses at New College or teach courses at New College because of that sense of community as well. And you obviously see that that's, that wouldn't be um, something that's available anymore. So, um, but the other thing I was thinking about, which is very interesting is how um, I, I belong to the swing dance society of of the university, and I, I remember most of the, most Monday evenings would go swing dancing, and I'd run into a few students who say to me, "Do you know this person or that person? He or she is my tutor." And even the leader of the swing dance society or the teachers of the swing dance society are lecturers in the university. So I, I really had this feeling that I, if we had normal Monday evening swing dancing, I'd run into a few students who'd say to me, you're my tutor. Um, and that would have been absolutely fantastic. But um, that, that is, is off, off the book. Um, it's not available. So I'd say, yeah, although I have a very limited pre-remote learning experience, some of these expectations um, were never there either. Yeah, no, that's a, um, a really lovely answer. And I totally agree with those things that you've said. Um, 
about you know swing dance society but just societies in general and I think that's something that's been really missing for students um, and also staff as well kind of usually the university landscape is filled with all of these hundreds and hundreds of societies for people to get involved in and that's been really difficult this year um, and I definitely agree as well about um, what you're saying about new college and I think that's something that's really nice about the school of divinity it being the smallest school at the university um, that it does feel like a little kind of I don't know, it almost feels like a tiny university in and of itself in the larger university. And that's always something I've really appreciated. Um, but thank you so much, both of you, for speaking to me today. Uh, it's been really, really interesting. And I know as a student, I really appreciate that you've taken time out um, to speak about some of these things. And I know that other students will appreciate um, this podcast in general, really, and the insight that it's given them into kind of the lives of staff and academics and the people who kind of make our university what it is so yes thank you very much both of you thank you very much Grace. thank you so much for listening we really hope to celebrate as many nominees as possible through the hybrid teaching exchange where some of our nominees have blog posts sharing their experiences keep an eye out on our social media pages on the 12th of may where all of the winners will be announced throughout the day 